0: That you are our only hope. That you're the source of all joy. We build our lives on you. We stake our eternity on you. And we give you glory and praise. Attention and thanks for who you are and for what you've done. In Christ's name, amen. Well, it's great to see you this morning. I, uh, I don't know if you're here to worship or just to get out of the cold. I'm not sure which one of those it is. It, it did, we did issue an extreme cold weather alert this morning, right? And so uh, in Phoenix, where, where I'm from originally, when it gets below about 15 Celsius, they issue a, a cold weather alert. They say, nobody leave your home, stay inside, so we're glad to have... Warm weather uh, or inside anyway today, and even though we have sunshine outside, it is a little brisk today. Listen, do you have a do you have a food like a, a food that you can't say no to? Does anyone, do you have one of those foods that like if that's out on the table? Like, you are eating it no matter what. Anybody? Some of you, like, I know you're looking at your spouse right now, and you're going, I know what yours is. I, I have willpower, but I know what yours Amy's is those little dove chocolates. Do you know those little dove chocolates, those little single, unwrapped dove chocolates? She can't say no to those things. Me, personally, my food that I cannot say no to is yellow cake, chocolate frosting, and dairy milk. I absolutely love dairy milk. In fact, uh, a couple years ago on my birthday, my wife made me like, you know, big, big pan of yellow cake chocolate frosting and got me dairy milk. And I literally ate three quarters of the cake in a day and drank a gallon of dairy milk. Like, if it's in the refrigerator, so I, tell, I tell Amy, do not get dairy milk. Get almond milk, because it tastes like garbage, right? So I'm not going to drink that. Get, don't get dairy milk, because I just can't say no to it. The temptation is just too strong. I think that's what James meant when he wrote this. But each person is tempted, When he is lured and enticed by his own desire, it's up here on the screen, then desire, when it it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. My desire for yellow cake and dairy milk, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. The death of my girlish figure, the death of my dignity, the death of all kinds of things because I just can't say no to it. But that's not just true for food, is it? Like we have temptation everywhere we go in life and things that we seemingly can't say no to, it just, these things that lure us and entice us. If you don't believe me, I was at uh, Longo's yesterday, I I was grocery shopping for ingredients for yellow cake and, and dairy milk, but um, that's beside the point. The point is I'm at Longo's and and, and the Longo's up by my house in Aurora, like uh, Bayview and Wellington area, right? You go in the door. I'll go in the same door every time. You go in the door and if you go to the right, you go to the produce section, which I, you know, no produce. I don't like fruits and vegetables, but if you go to the left, it, it, you, you go to kind of junk food and snack food, right? And And before you get to the junk food and snack food, you pass by the magazine rack. Have you ever just looked at the magazine rack in a grocery store? Like all of those magazines I think should be be titled temptation on the top. Every single one of them. Because every single one of them is luring us and enticing us to believe something or do something that we probably otherwise wouldn't want to do. I mean, for, for men, I mean, the clear one is sexual temptation. It's because, you know, apparently, like, women in bikinis are great to sell, like, you know, rice cakes or whatever. They just put them all over the place. But but you go by there, and, and there's, the, there's temptation to be to be jealous or to compare or or envy or, or temptation to believe a lie. You know, the funny thing is on, on most of those magazines, you guys have probably seen the same YouTube video I have, they that are, they, they aren't actually even real women that they put on. They take a picture of a real woman and then they Photoshop her and stretch her out and do all that stuff. So you're looking at like some kind of an android on the front of that thing. Or they do the same thing with guys. You know, Justin Bieber was just on the cover of some magazine, like enhance his pecs and his abs. And I'm going, wow, I should have a body like Justin Bieber I like it's not a real body it's it's enhanced it's it's photoshopped but we look at that stuff and we have these temptations inside of us all kinds of stuff that tempt us to believe something or do something that we may not otherwise want to do And not only do we have temptations that exist inside of us, and not just for yellow cake with chocolate frosting and and dairy milk, which, like, I have that taste on my lips now. Now I just want to leave. And no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Like, not only do we have those temptations, but we have temptations for jealousy or anger or envy or lust or whatever. There's seven deadly sins and and worry and whatever else. And playing the comparison game, we have those temptations that exist on the inside of us. But did you know that we have temptations that that come from outside of us as well? Look up here on the screen. Look look at what Peter writes. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's a a pretty sobering verse, isn't it? That we have an enemy that exists on the outside of us that prowls around on the earth, listen, like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And There's a lot of ways that the devil can devour us and a lot of tactics that he uses to devour us, but one of them is temptation to sin, temptation to walk away from God, to reject his plan and to do something that we otherwise wouldn't want to do or that we know is bad for us or we know is a rejection of God's will. There's temptation that exists on the outside of us. So That's why Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful, keep your eye out for that temptation that might come along in your life or that will inevitably come along in your life. But here's the great news. Here's the great news. Look up here on the screen. This this is great. This is what the author of Hebrews writes. Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Isn't that cool? Because in Christ, get this now, it's highlighted up here on the screen, but but we have one who has been tempted. Like we don't think of Jesus having been tempted, do we? I mean, we know he was without sin, but we don't we don't think. Man, did he really love yellow cake with chocolate frosting and dairy milk? You know, or and did he always did he always resist those things? Or there, was there things in his life that he was tempted by? The reality is, yes, he was. Tempted, the author of Hebrews says, in every way. And check this out. He was without sin. He never gave in. He never said yes to that thing on the outside of him or even on the inside of him that may have been tempting him to to walk away from God, to reject God's will, to resist God. He never, ever gave in. So check this out. If, If here's the timeline of temptation kind of from left to right, and I'm tempted, 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 at some point, if I give in, I don't resist temptation to kind of its fullest extent. But because Jesus never gave in, he experienced temptation at its full measure. He experienced temptation to its fullest extent, and yet he was without sin. He always said no. He always did the right thing, Hebrews says. He was without sin, So we're going to take a look at a snapshot from the life of Jesus today from Luke chapter 4. We're going to take a look at a snapshot where Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And we're going to kind of unpack what temptation is. But before we go any further, here's our kind of big umbrella truth. We're going to unpack this together today, but here's our umbrella truth going forward. Here, Here it is. It's up here on the screen. It's Jesus is our example for how to successfully resist temptation. Jesus is our example for how to successfully resist temptation. There's all kinds of temptations that come our way in life. And check it out, we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He has been tempted in every way. And so we have him as an example to look to. If you want to know how to resist temptation in your life, and I'm assuming that you do, if you wanna know how, we look to Jesus and we go, okay, what did Jesus do? How did he resist temptation? What kind of tactics and tools did he have in his tool belt to always succeed? Successfully resist temptation. And so today, we're going to look at this snapshot from the life of Christ. And here's our two goals. We have two goals today. One, we want to understand how temptation works. We want to understand how temptation works. Because this snapshot from the life of Jesus happened 2,000 years ago. But can I clue you in on something? The devil's not all that creative. I mean, he's using the same tactics now as he tried to use on Jesus 2,000 years ago. Well, he did use on Jesus 2,000 years ago, but he was not successful. Jesus never gave in. He uses those same tactics with us today. So if we can understand how temptation works, then we can be successful in resisting it. So, we, so that's goal number one. Goal number two is this. I want for us to acquire a few tools to resist temptation. Because what, what do we typically do when temptation comes our way? As we just sang, teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way. What do we typically do when temptation comes our way? We go like this, don't we? No, 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 no. no, That's not a good tool. That typically doesn't work, Right? Or are we, you know, it's it's willpower. It's the next time that yellow cake with chocolate frosting is out on the counter or whatever your yellow cake with chocolate frosting and dairy milk is, I'm going to say, no, 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 no. And then this one eye opens and you go, okay. (laughs) That's That's not always successful, is it? And so I want us to acquire some tools together so we can, we can kind of be a little more success, successful when it comes to resisting temptation. And so if you have your Bibles, here's what we're going to do. We're going to ch- uh, take a look at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to be. And here's what we're going to see as you turn there in Luke chapter 4, and you can pull out the Bible in the seat back in front of you. It's going to be up here on the screen as always, but... But you can turn there in your own Bible so you can track with us. Here's here's what we're going to take a look at. We're going to take a look at a situation in the life of Christ before he launches his public ministry. He's about 30 years old at the time. And Satan tempts him with three different things. Three different things. And so as Satan does that, we're going to understand, okay, this is what Satan's after. This is what he's doing. This is how temptation works. And then we're going to watch how Jesus successfully resists all three temptations. We're going to go, okay, so what are the tools that I can acquire? How can I use Jesus as my example when it comes to resisting temptation? So pick up your Bible if you've got it. It's Luke chapter 4, and we'll pick up the story here. It says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, this is verse 1, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. Being tempted by the devil. There we go. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, those days, he was hungry. Okay, look up here on the screen. I want to point out a couple of things that are going on in this passage. First of all, Luke tells us that Jesus has just returned from the Jordan. Do you see that? He's just returned from the Jordan. What happened at the Jordan was that John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, baptized Jesus. He baptized Jesus just like we baptize people here on a Sunday morning. Now, we can't unpack this all today. It meant something different. It was something different for Jesus than it is for us, but we can't get into that all today. Here's what I'm saying, is that when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, he kind of of began Jesus' public ministry. He kind of commissioned Jesus and identified him as the Messiah. So Jesus was baptized, and right after being baptized, he returned from the Jordan River where he was baptized, and then full of the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit in the wilderness, Jesus was tempted. Up there on the screen, it's highlighted, full of the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit he was led into the wilderness. So he was baptized and then full of the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit. Okay, so the second thing that Luke tells us is this, is that for 40 days, he didn't eat anything. In the wilderness, he fasted for 40 days, and it was at the end of those 40 days when the devil began his temptation of Jesus, when he began to tempt Jesus. Here's what Luke is telling us, is that when when Satan comes along to tempt Jesus, he's saying that Jesus is spiritually full, but he's physically drained. Did you see that? He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's led by the Holy Spirit. He's just been baptized. He's just been commissioned. His public ministry has just been inaugurated, but he hasn't eaten in 40 days. He's drained physically. He's full spiritually, but he's drained physically. Can I tell you something that Satan's tactics haven't changed much? Look up here on the screen. We are often tempted when we are spiritually full and physically drained. We are often tempted when we are spiritually full and physically drained. Here's what I mean by that. I don't mean that we're tempted when we, when we feel good and we're happy and, and we're excited about what's going on in life or whatever. I mean that, that, that we are tempted when we're spiritually full in that we are on mission for Jesus. When we're doing things to make a difference in the kingdom, that's typically when Satan comes along and tries to poke at us, isn't it? When, when, you, when you make big decisions for the kingdom, and when you're moving the kingdom forward, when you're sharing your faith with your friends, or you're trying to lead your family well, and, and this is where Satan typically comes along, and, and when you're physically drained, when you're tired, when you're fatigued, when you haven't cared for your body well, this is when Satan typically tries to kind of get a barb in there. Now, I want you to know that this happens throughout the scripture. There's a story in Acts chapter 19, and people don't quote this very much, but I absolutely love it. Here's what happens. There's a group of kind of like weirdo sorcerers in Acts chapter 19 in the book of Ephesus. You can read it later. It's Acts chapter 19, and they're they're in Ephesus. And what they're trying to do is cast out evil spirits, but they're trying to invoke the name of Jesus in doing that. So they come to these evil spirits, and they say stuff like this. Okay, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul has preached, I command you to come out. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul has preached, I command you to come out. Now, they're not really about the kingdom. They're about themselves. They're not really moving the kingdom forward. They're trying to call attention to themselves. Now, watch this. When they try to cast out this evil spirit, saying, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul has preached, look at how the evil spirit responds in Acts chapter 19, verse 15. It's up here on the screen. It says, but the evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? I mean, that's, that's direct from the scripture. You, okay, Jesus I know. Yeah, and Paul, yeah, I know that name too. But who do you think you are? And by the way, this doesn't go very well for these sorcerers. Read it in Acts chapter 19. It doesn't go very well. In other words, these, these evil spirits are looking at these sorcerers going, I don't need to do anything with you because you're not about the kingdom. You're about Self. Why do I need to combat what you're doing? Why do I need to come up against what you're doing? Why do I need to tempt you? You're doing just fine focusing on yourself. But the converse is also true. Listen close. The forces of darkness and the devil and Satan are trying to derail the active. They're not all that concerned with folks who are idle. If you're kind of spinning your wheels and you're just kind of sitting there not doing much for the kingdom, it makes sense that you wouldn't be tempted a lot in your life. It makes sense to me. But for those of you who are spiritually full and you're on mission for Jesus and you're moving the kingdom forward and you're about him and about his glory and about his gospel and what he's doing in the world around us, it makes sense to me and it makes sense to the scripture and it makes sense according to Jesus why you would be tempted to sin. So let's do it this way. In the last, I'm going to ask for a show of hands in a minute, but, in a minute but, but we're going to ask three questions. I'm going to ask for a show of hands. Have you said yes to Jesus for the very first time in the last year? Don't raise your hand yet. But those of you who have said yes to Jesus for the very first time in the last year, those of you who have rededicated your life, To Jesus. You knew him before, you met him before, all that stuff. You've rededicated your life to Jesus in the last year, right? or those of you who have made a really big decision in terms of ministry, in terms of moving the kingdom forward, in terms of, you know what, I'm gonna come back to church for the first time or I'm gonna start leading my family in devotions or Kevin and Grace, we're gonna move to the Middle East to move the kingdom forward or I'm gonna share the gospel with a friend, I'm gonna step out and do that for the first time, I haven't really done that. You've made a big decision for moving the kingdom forward in the last year. So those three folks, You've said yes to Jesus in the last year, you've rededicated your life in the last year, or you've made a big decision in terms of the kingdom of God in the last year on three. Raise your hands. One, two, three. Okay, so, so those of you with your hand raised, everybody look at them. They're going to be tempted. Because, because Satan is concerned with Jesus at this point in his ministry life because he's about to move the kingdom forward for three years in a really big bad way. And Satan is trying to derail him. He's trying to get him off track. How about for those of you who, who maybe feel physically drained? I don't know about you, but like when Amy and I fight... It, which we do, by the way, I know I'm a pastor, and I'm always right, but that's beside the point. She's not here to defend herself. She, she'll be here in the second service, so I won't say that. But when we, when we fight, when, when our marriage has, you, you know that's typically when we're physically drained? I don't know about you and your marriage, but it's like right before bed, isn't it? Everybody's tired, or it's been a very long day, and the next thing you know, people are getting snippy at each other. That's because Satan hasn't changed his tactics in 2,000 years. He he typically tempts us, just like he tempted Jesus, when we're we're spiritually full, when we're on mission for Jesus, but we're physically drained. All right, let's take a look at this first temptation. Pick it up there in verse 3. First temptation that kind of comes Jesus' way from the mouth of Satan. Verse 3, he says, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, "It is written, man shall not live by bread alone." So what is Satan tempting Jesus to do? The first thing that he's tempting him to do is prove that he is the son of God. The title of our message today is "Prove it." Satan is saying, "Prove it." Prove that you're the Son of God. And here's what he's asking him to do. He's asking Jesus to meet a legitimate need. Jesus has a legitimate need here. Remember, he hasn't eaten in how long? Not a trick question. Hasn't eaten in how long? 40 days. And Luke tells us, it's so funny, it's like, it tells us in verse, in verse two, and, and he ate nothing during those days, that's 40 days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. Oh, I'm so glad you're a professional physician, Luke, because we wouldn't have known that, you know? It's like one of the no dust statements of the scripture. Thank you so much for including that detail. But Luke wants us to know Jesus is hungry. So when Satan comes along and says, prove it, turn this stone into bread, he's asking Jesus to meet a legitimate self-need, but he's asking him to do it in an illegitimate way. He's asking Jesus to kind of hijack God's plan He's asking Jesus to use his authority and his power for self, for self-promotion and self-motivation. So he's asking Jesus to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. So, so here's lesson number two. We are often tempted to meet legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. We are often tempted to meet illegitimate needs or legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. We're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna unpack this a little bit more in a minute, but, but get this. We are often tempted to meet a legitimate need, or we're usually tempted to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. But check this out. Meeting legitimate needs in illegitimate ways have significant consequences. Meeting legitimate needs in illegitimate ways have significant implications. It has significant implications. I heard a story one time of a man who walks into a bar and he, and he sits down and there's a woman at the bar with him. And he looks at the woman and he says, hey, um, you're very, very beautiful. I'm just wondering if you uh, would consider sleeping with me for a million dollars. I will literally give you a million dollars if you'll sleep with me. The woman says, well, gosh, for like a million, a million dollars, like really a million dollars? Like, okay, like, sh- sure, I guess I'd, I'd do that for a million dollars. And he said, okay, okay, great. How about a dollar? Would you do it for a dollar? The woman responds, no, of course not. Like, that's ridiculous. What, who, what, what kind of person do you think I am? The man responds with, I already know what you are. I'm just wondering how much you cost. You see, when we meet legitimate needs in illegitimate ways, they have big implications. When, when Jesus is tempted by the devil, when he's tempted by Satan to turn a stone into bread, it seems very, very small. It seems like a a minor deal to meet his hunger and to feed himself by turning a stone into bread. But Jesus is going, you know what? This has much larger implications. This feels like a little compromise maybe, a little decision, but this has much larger implications. So Jesus says, you know what? No, thank you. That's not me. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So here's what Jesus does. He's saying, I'm going to let God, the father meet my legitimate needs in a legitimate way so if you're taking notes today jot this down here's a tool for resisting temptation let God meet your legitimate needs in a legitimate way let God meet your legitimate needs in an in a legitimate way So I want to unpack this. I want to use just three examples to unpack this. How we have legitimate needs in our life. We have needs that God has wired us with, that he's placed into our heart, that he's kind of hardwired into the fabric of humanity. And humanity, and not just humanity, but us sometimes, we meet these legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. We're tempted to do so, and we pursue something that God didn't design to meet that need. So look up here on the screen. The first one is intimacy. Intimacy, each and every one of us has a need for intimacy, for intimate relationships with other people. But what's, a, what's an illegitimate way that we typically, not typically, but what's an illegitimate way that we sometimes meet that need? Well, it's with sexuality, right? And not just sexuality, but promiscuous sexuality or sexuality outside of marriage. You guys know this just as well as I do. We see men and women all the time that are, that are sleeping around, they have multiple sexual partners or whatever, because they're meeting a need for intimacy. But that, that need for intimacy is a legitimate need. God, put that in your heart. But sexuality or promiscuous sexuality or sexuality outside of the context of marriage is not the way to meet that need. It's an illegitimate way to meet that need. So what's a legitimate way to meet that need? Well, it's with fellowship. It's with fellowship. It's with getting into the context of the body of Christ and getting with other believers so that we have intimate relationships with other believers and and intimacy with God so we have friends and closeness and tightness and, and, and we, we have value and we're part of a community. So we don't need to seek other opportunities or things outside of the context of Scripture to meet that legitimate need. Let's talk about this one. Let's talk about Renewal. Each and every one of us, when, when, when we're worn down, when, when, when we've kind of spent all of our energy and emotional energy and physical energy, we have a need for renewal, don't we? We have a need for rest. We have a need to kind of get by ourselves and take a deep breath and be renewed by God. But instead of being renewed by God, what's a way that we meet those, that legitimate need? Well, we do so with escapism. We have addictions or substance abuse or we just check out and like play video games for all day on a Saturday or whatever. And we engage in these bad habits and we think that it's going to meet that legitimate need. But it's an illegitimate way to meet that legitimate need. And it doesn't work out. So what did God do? He designed a Sabbath. He designed a Sabbath for you and me to meet the legitimate need for renewal. How I call these the dailies the daily needs of of food, clothing, shelter, right, we we all, you got to pay the rent, you got to pay your bills, but sometimes we think we've got to meet that legitimate need in an illegitimate way, and we become workaholics, or we start cutting corners in our business, or we don't budget well, or we don't give generously. And, and, and we sin because we're tempted to take into our own hands, just like Jesus is. He's tempted to take into his own hands the things that God has already promised to care for him with. The daily needs of food, clothing, and shelter. We, like I said, we become workaholics or, or whatever it is. And, and God comes along and he says, look, you have legitimate daily needs. But he says, look at the sparrows and how your heavenly father cares for them. Don't you think he loves you even more than a bird? Or look at the lilies of the field and how they're clothed in all their splendor. Like he cares for you even more than that. Not even a sparrow falls to the ground outside of God's providence. He is going to care for you. And so instead of looking to being a workaholic or looking to hoarding or looking to greed or whatever to meet our daily needs, we look to God's provision we look to God's provision. We say, look, that's a legitimate need I've got for bread if I haven't eaten in 40 days. It's a legitimate need I have for shelter. It's a legitimate need I have for those daily things uh, to provide for my physical body. But instead of looking to illegitimate ways to meet those needs, we can look to legitimate ways to meet those needs like God's provision. When it comes to temptation, here's a tool to just kind of help us to resist temptation. When you're tempted to sin, see if you can get to the root of it and discover what your legitimate need is. When you're tempted to sin, when you're tempted with greed or envy or jealousy or lust or whatever it is, lashing out in anger, Typically, not always, but typically, there's a legitimate need underneath there. There's a need to be heard. There's a need to feel valued. There's a need to feel significant. There's needs underneath there. See if you can get to that legitimate need and let God meet your legitimate need in a legitimate way and in a biblical way. Let's look at temptation number two. Temptation number two. Pick it up, Luke chapter four, verse five. Jesus has successfully resisted temptation number one. Luke chapter four, verse five. says, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Can you imagine that? Just a panoramic picture of all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He successfully resists temptation number two for power and authority. The devil's promising him power and authority, and he successfully resists can it. Can I just tell you something? This is very interesting to me. And, and, and this is kind of a side note. We're just going to kind of, you know, tangent here for just a second. John 13, verse 3, look up here on the screen. John 13, verse 3, look at what Jesus says about himself. He says, or John says this about Jesus. He says, and Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. So what is John saying about Jesus? He said, all power, all authority, all dominion has been given to Jesus by the Father, So when when Satan tempts Jesus, you know what he's tempting him with? He's not just, he's not tempting him with with rejecting God's plan. What's he tempting him with? Reject God's timing. Reject God's timing. So this would eventually be Jesus' later in his life after he's crucified and risen to the right hand of the Father. He would be given all power, dominion, and authority. And he knew that was coming, but Satan is going, you know what? We don't have to do this cross thing. We don't have to do this uh, resurrection thing. We don't have to do this hard ministry life thing for three years. You can, you can kind of you know, derail all that stuff, and you can have all power and authority, all the kingdoms of the world right now. I just jotted this down, and, and I want you to kind of, if this may help you, if, if it helps you, great, and if not, we're going to talk about another tool. But temptation is not always contrary to God's plan, but contrary to God's timing. We're not always tempted to reject God's plan, because that's not what Satan is doing here. He's not tempting Jesus to reject God's plan. It's just tempting him to reject God's timing. You don't have to go through the hard stuff. you don't have to go through the cross. Some of us in our life, we need to hear that today. That the, the, the temptation that you feel is not always contrary to God's plan. God has a plan. It's just contrary to His timing. But here's the, here's the piece I really want us all to pick up today, is this. Look back up here on the screen. Look at what's highlighted here. It says, to, Satan says this to Jesus, To you, I will give this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. Tell me, is that true or false? False. Satan has no authority. Satan's been given a level of freedom on the earth right now, but Everything comes under the sovereign hand and control of God. So when Satan offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, and I can give it to whomever I want, he's lying to him. Let's let's rewind to the very first temptation. If you eat this fruit, you will be what? Like God. He's lying to him. This is Satan's tactic. It's always been his tactic. When he tempts us with sin, he's lying to us. He's not telling us what is true. He's telling us what is false. He's giving us false information. He's giving Jesus false information. He's trying to get Jesus to buy into that false information and to hijack God's plan and to hijack God's process and to hijack God's timing. Is all right, I'll just worship you because... you know, I, I, I want it now. And it's all based in a lie. Satan doesn't have the authority to give Jesus a, a power and dominion. It's not been given to him, and it's not under his control. So look up here on the screen. Temptation is always rooted in a lie. Temptation is always rooted in a lie. In the life of Jesus and in your life and mine, temptation is always Every single time rooted in a lie. There's something false that you and I are believing. There's something false that we've based our decisions on when we sin. And when we sin, you can always track back and go, what lie did I believe along the way here? When did I stop believing truth? When did I stop basing my decisions on truth? And when did I believe a lie? So Satan tries to feed Jesus a lie here, and Jesus goes, "Uh, I'm not buying it. And I know that ain't true. So here's how we respond. If temptation is always rooted in a lie, what's tool number two to responding and successfully resisting temptation? Tool number two is real simple, respond with truth. If it's always rooted in a lie, then respond with truth. This is what the author of Psalms means. This is what the psalmist means when he says this. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. I have tucked away truth inside of me so when Satan tempts me with lies, I can say, no, that's not true.'" I'm not going to base my decision on that. I'm not going to base my life on that. I'm not going to give in to that temptation because it's based in a lie. You're telling me something you can't deliver. You're promising me something you can't give to me. Because the Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come so that we might have life and have it abundantly. He's lying us and baiting us into stealing, killing, and destroying. All three very, very negative words, by the way. But Jesus comes he says, I am the way, the what? Truth and the life. So when Satan tempts us with a lie, here's how you respond. You respond with truth. So I want you to look up here on the screen. I put this little chart together real quickly last night. I put this little chart together and I just listed a bunch of sins that I think are really popular. Just listed a bunch of sins that I think are popular. And then I listed a scripture verse that you can memorize to respond to each of those sins. So when you're tempted with pride, memorize James 4, 6. It says this, but he gives more grace, for God resists the proud or he rejects the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When you're tempted with pride. When you're tempted with worry, you can memorize Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Respond with this truth. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When you're tempted with isolation, from running away from the body of Christ, you know what? I don't need. I don't need uh, the the gathering of worshipers on Sunday morning. I don't need Christian friends. Memorize Hebrews ten twenty five. Let us not give up meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing. But do so all the more as you see, your, or as you see the day, capital D, day of the Lord approaching. So in every case, there's, there's a lie that we could buy into, but a truth that we can respond with. Here's what I'm, I'm going to invite you to do this morning. Pick one of those, just one, that you struggle with on a regular basis. Is it laziness? Sin, by the way. Is it worry? Is it anger? Is it isolating from the body of Christ? Is it lust? Greed, pride, gossip, which one which one of those one of those up there do you struggle with? And then jot down that scripture reference and memorize it this week. So that when Satan tempts you with a lie, you can respond with truth. Please don't look at what your neighbor is writing down like I knew it, you know. Don't look at what your neighbor is writing down, okay? You just jot down one of those scripture references so when Satan tempts you with a lie this week, you can take a cue from Jesus and use him as an example and just respond with truth. Does that make sense? Say, so, you know what? I don't need to buy that lie that worry's gonna get me somewhere. I don't need to buy that lie that greed and hoarding material things actually matters for eternity. I don't need to buy that lie that lust is a good thing and that that's going to actually get me the fulfillment and significance and value that I really want. I can memorize 1 Corinthians 6.18 and respond that way. Whichever one it is, jot it down. That's tool number two. Temptation's always rooted in a lie, so we respond with truth. Tool number three, look at Luke verse four, third temptation, verses nine through 13. And he, that's Satan, took him, that's Jesus, to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said this, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. What's he asking him to do? He's asking him to prove it, right? Prove it. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written... He, that's the Father, will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Verse 12. And Jesus answered him, it is said, or it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. In other words, the temptation of Jesus didn't stop there. Satan continued to tempt, and Jesus continued to successfully resist. But let's look at this third temptation. What is Satan tempting Jesus with here? He's saying, look, throw yourself down from the temple, and if you are the Son of God, what will happen? is that God will send his angels, the Father will send his angels to to grab you and save you. And, And listen close to what Satan does here. This is a very, very clever tactic on Satan's part. What does he do in order to convince Jesus that that will actually happen? He quotes scripture. Isn't that crazy? That's Psalm 91 that Satan's quoting there. So so here's what's happening. Jesus is saying not, you know what, that's not scripture, what you're quoting, because it is. What he's saying is, you've misinterpreted that, my friend. (laughs) Your conclusion as to what that means is wrong, and so we are not going to put the Lord God to the test We cannot rip him down from his throne and put him to test over your scrutiny or anyone else's for that matter. You have radically misinterpreted that text. You've quoted it right, but you've radically misinterpreted it. I cannot tell you how often as a pastor I watch people make this mistake and give in to temptation because they know the Bible, but they don't know it well enough to interpret it correctly and understand it. I see people do this all the time. Kevin can vouch for this. People come into our office and they go, you know what? God has really said to me, you know, I know the Bible says that God will give me the desires of my heart. And and the desires of my heart is to to be in a happy marriage. And my current marriage is not a happy marriage. So I'm going to opt out of this marriage so God can give me the desires of my heart to be in a happy marriage. It's not that you've misquoted that scripture is that you've radically misinterpreted it, and you've given in to the temptation. God didn't give you marriage to make you happy. He gave it to you to make you holy. You've radically misinterpreted that scripture, and now you're, you're opting out of something that God has given you to sanctify you. Even those who are married to a non it's like, how do you know that God hasn't set you aside to call them to him. Now I'm not talking about this you know you know marital infidelity some other things that the scripture says like look you know those are legitimate reasons for divorce. I'm talking about folks that go, "You know what? It's just not making me happy anymore." And if God wants to give me the desires of my heart, I I desire to be in a happy marriage. So I'm going to opt out of this one and go to the next. Or, or one that, this is, I love this one. People come in, you know, to my office and, and they say, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11 says that God knows the plans he has for me and their plans to prosper me and my business is not prospering and God has plans to prosper me. So it's okay for me to kind of cut corners. It's okay for me to kind of maybe do things under the table, or do things, kind of go around the bend in places because I know God has plans to prosper me. Like, interpret that text right. It comes in the context of the New Covenant, Jeremiah 29, 11. It's not about your business. And so we can't excuse ourselves to sin because we've radically misinterpreted God's Word. This is a great tactic that Satan uses, and he has us tempts us to misinterpret the Word of God. It's not that we don't know the Word of God, it's that we misinterpret the Word of God. I jotted this down this week as I was reading the Scripture. Temptation is often rooted in the misinterpreted Word of God. Temptation is often rooted in misinterpreted scripture. It's not that you didn't quote it right. It's that you applied it incorrectly. And it causes us to give in to sin when we use the scripture in the wrong way just like Satan did here. It can get us into really bad trouble when we use the Scripture in the wrong way, when we don't talk about the context of Scripture, when we don't understand it, when we don't interpret it right. You know how bad it can get us into trouble? We can flip through here and go, Judas went and hung himself. Okay, that's great. Flip through here. Go and do likewise. You know, like that gets us into really bad trouble when we misinterpret the Scripture, doesn't it? Just like it would have gotten Jesus into really big trouble if he would have believed that that Satan had applied this scripture correctly. But he doesn't. So here's the tool to combat misinterpreted scripture. When temptation comes your way and and there's misinterpreted scripture involved, you're thinking to yourself, okay, is that right or is that wrong? Here's the tool. you got to know the word of God Well. You've got to know the word of God well. Like, I don't know how else to tell you that. Because, I, like I said, even, you know, like I said, Kevin can vouch for this. We see people do this all the time. And they hijack scripture and they, and they warp it and turn it and use it for their own Something and give into temptation and reject or resist God's plan because they've given in, they've given into temptation and misinterpreted the Word of God. You've got to know the Word of God well. So just like Jesus, you can identify that's not what that means. I'll be straight with you. There are some preachers on TV that are absolutely outstanding. Charles Price, a pastor over at People's Churches on TV. Great preacher, knows the word of God well, has wonderful things to say. Great man of God is going to tell you the truth about scripture. And he's on TV. But just because they're on TV doesn't mean they know the word of God well. Can I just tell you that? Just because they're on TV doesn't mean they're rightly interpreting Scripture, rightly understanding Scripture. And the temptation for us is going to be to give in, especially on TV, to greed or something called the prosperity gospel or thinking that Jesus died to make me happy and not to sanctify me and call me unto himself for his glory and purpose because that's what the word of God says. We have this temptation to misinterpret Scripture and to use it for our own good, and we give into temptation. You've got to know the Word of God well. That's why we run classes here all the time called Unlocking the Scripture. So we can help you get tools to rightly interpret the Word of God. That's why Foundations of the Faith, by the way, starts next Sunday, February 1, right after Second Service. Light refreshments served, and we'll tempt you with that. That's Tempting. See? You get it? You see what I did there? It's beside the point. The point is, it's a three week class, and one of the things that it helps us to do is rightly interpret the word of God. So we're not using it for our own kind of pushing us towards temptation. So we're using it to now resist temptation and say, that's not what that means. So I'm not going to do that. I want to conclude with this verse. I want to conclude in the same place that we started. I want to conclude with 1 Peter 5. Verse 8, Peter encourages us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Men and women of God, we have a real enemy, and he's seeking to devour you and me. He's seeking to steal kill, and destroy. He's seeking to rob us of the abundant life that Jesus promised. And you know how he does it? He does it with the exact same tactics that he used 2,000 years ago, with, with, with a warped interpretation of the scripture, by telling us lies, by coming at us when we're on mission for Jesus, but we're maybe physically drained. He, he comes at us in all of these ways, And we have to be sober-minded and watchful because he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Here's my encouragement this week. You have legitimate needs. Don't meet them in illegitimate ways. Take a cue from Jesus. Let God meet your legitimate needs. When Satan tells you a lie, respond with the truth of Scripture Don't buy it. Don't bite on that bait. Say, you know what? That's that's not what God says. And get to know your Bible. Take a class here. Read your Bible. Uh, Talk to other believers about the word of God so we can get a grasp on it. so, So we're rightly applying and rightly interpreting scripture such that we can successfully resist temptation and resist our adversary, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Pray with me. God, it's our desire to live holy lives. It's our desire to, uh, Jesus, to find an example in you as to how to successfully resist temptation. God, equip us today Remind us today, maybe just one handle, one thing to grab onto and walk away with today so that we might use you as our example to to live holy, to live pure, to resist temptation and resist uh, the temptation to sin. In Christ's name, God's people said, amen.